Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters. We're delighted to share with you this month's episode, a special presentation from a live forum. It is part of a series of live talks organized in collaboration between Mind and Soul Matters, Baha'i Blog and Melville Baha'i Community to discuss issues around mental health in our society. Today's episode presented by Professor Donna Cross on healthy technology use is the first in a series of talks which will be available over the coming months on Mind and Soul Matters. The introduction is by Dr. Dina Ashurian, MC of the Forum, and the presentation will end with questions and answers from the audience. We hope you enjoy it. Amazing talk and a must-listen for every parent. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first panelist, our first speaker, Professor Donna Cross. Dr. Donna Cross is a behavioral scientist and professor at the University of Western Australia and a senior researcher at the Telethon Kids Institute. Donna has received over $84 million in competitive applied research funding which has contributed to significant health and education policy and practice change in schools and communities. Her research addresses children's and adolescents' social and emotional well-being, mental health promotion, bullying prevention, and positive and safe online behavior. For her leadership improving children's and adolescents' mental health and well-being, Donna received an OAM, Medal of Order of Australia. She was the 2012 WA Australian of the Year and the 2022 inductee of the WA Women's Hall of Fame. And if that's not enough, she is a fellow of the esteemed Australian Academy of Health and Medical Science. So she's clearly an expert on the chosen topic today, which is promoting healthy technology use, something that really has impacted just about everyone I know. <laughs> How do we actually navigate using our technology and devices in a health and safe way? So I'd like to introduce Professor Donna Cross up to the podium. Thank you. Thanks very much, Dina. And uh, thank you very much, everyone, for coming today. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands that we're meeting on, the Noongar Wajak people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge their wisdom in a lot of the work that we are doing. So my job today in 10 to 15 minutes is to summarise probably the last 30 years of work that our team has done, but putting it into bite-sized pieces that are meaningful, particularly around technology use. And I think a lot of people have thought about the mental health issues that young people are experiencing as being caused by uh, uses of technology and, and the increases in rates of depression and anxiety and other uh, mental health conditions in recent years has largely been attributed to technology. So I'd like to say as an opener, because in case you go to sleep in my 10 minutes, that in fact there is, there is some correlation and some causation, but I don't think we can blame, and certainly our evidence and the evidence that's collected around the world is we can't just blame technology. And in fact, technology's been doing some really good things for our children as well. So I hope that in my 10 minutes this morning that I'd love to capture 
what's the, the wonderful aspects of technology and how do we parent and how do we look after our friends as, as young people to help them use technology wisely and sensibly, while at the same time protecting, sort of minimising harm from the ways that they use it. And I think it's particularly poignant when we look at the data. Now, half of all lifetime mental health problems happen before the age of 14. So first instance, if you are going to develop a mental health problem over your life, half of the people who will develop it over their life will have their first uh, episode before the age of 14. And 75% of people who will experience it over their life will experience it before the age of 25. So it's a young person's disease in a sense. If you think of it in a chronic sense, of course, it's over the lifetime. But the reason for us investing so deeply and taking action to support children is because children are the most likely to be initially affected and therefore the importance of promoting their mental health, thinking about so not just how do we protect them from having mental illness, but what are the things that we need to do to really strengthen and make our children as resilient as possible so that they can deal with the ups and downs. The ups and downs are important. Everyone is going to go through periods where they have difficulties. It's how well we pull out of them that's so important. And I was having a conversation before we started this morning, you know, around parenting and how do we how do we deal with with parenting? And really, parenting is about scaffolding. That we put scaffolding around our children. We let them experience a fall. We don't let them fall to the ground, but we let them feel it, and then we help them to help themselves to rebuild that. And I think that's probably the most important thing that we could be doing as parents is showing our kids how to deal with the stuff that they're dealing with and for kids to be helping each other to do the same. So when I talk about um, online environments, you know, in a way I'm showing my age already because for kids, technology is their life. There isn't online and offline, it is their life. So already, if I use that terminology, I can see young people in the front row, they go, yeah, yeah, that's because you're old. <laughs> so when we think about uh, technology, I think one of the easiest ways, particularly for old people like me to think about it is now, think about a swimming pool and how we as adults protect our children but get them to enjoy a swimming pool. And if you think about technology as a swimming pool for a moment, you know, if we were wanting our children to be good swimmers, we don't just stop them from swimming or spending time in a pool until they're 14 or 16 and then letting them have the pool full on. And to some extent, that's what we do with technology. We kind of stop them from using it. And then suddenly when they hit a, a golden age or because there's just so much pressure because all the other kids are using it, we then allow them to have technology. To help our kids to swim, I know I had my children doing baby lessons, you know, not long after they were born. We were in the pool and we were having fun together. And of course, as a young child, I would never leave my child in the pool on their own or unsupervised. Similarly with technology, of course they can have access to technology at a young age. It's beautiful to read a story that's animated much better than a single dimension that you get in a book because children at a very young age, their brain development doesn't let them to connect that a flat picture of an elephant is the same as the elephant at the zoo. So the learning is enriched when we are using technology to engage. So it's not about screen time, it's about screen use. So if we say to our children, you can only have technology an hour a day, in fact, that's not helping them much at all. It'd be like, so well, you can only be in the pool an hour a day, but I'm not going to supervise you or do anything. You can just go and play. And if you drown in that one hour, well, that's, that's not so good. So when you think about you know, how would you let your children use the pool to be safe, you would supervise them. You would put fences around the pool to stop them from going in there when you're not looking. You would shoulder surf in the sense that you would be with them in the pool. You would teach them skills, you send them off for swimming lessons so that they know how to use the pool effectively. 
You think about all the actions that we take to help children swim well, we should be taking exactly those actions to help them use technology well. So they have fun with it, as they would have fun in a pool, and they develop good skills. So they know how to save somebody if somebody's suddenly drowning. We teach our children first aid. We teach them how to do rescues in the pool. The, the people who see young people hurting online are other peers. So one of the most important things we can do for our children is to show them what they can do to help their friends when they see their friends being hurt online. And one of the most important things is to send them a message. If you see somebody being bullied online, it's actually way easier to be a bystander to help that person being bullied online than it is face to face. It's a pretty brave person who can go up to somebody bullying and say, stop that, you're hurting such and such. But online, you can go to instant messaging, you can choose another way to send a message to that person saying, I saw what happened, it's just awful, what can I do to help? And that's probably one of the most important first aid actions that young people can do to help each other. So as parents, teaching our kids first aid in online environments is really important to be good bystanders, to not tolerate poor behaviour because they're the ones who are going to see the poor behaviour before we do. So if you take my analogy of the swimming pool and you think about all of those actions that you would take to keep your children safe, it really is very easy to think about what are the actions I need to do as a parent to keep my children safe when they're using technology. Lots of practice, build skills, spend time with them, don't let them swim alone, put fences around the pool and teach them first aid so that they can take action. Now, there are some other really specific things. I know I've only got probably five minutes left. I'll wait for Dina to wind me up. You know, things that we worry about with technology. And you think about the physical effects. We're here to talk about mental health, but just reminders, things like posture. We know that blue light is really bad in terms of melanin secretion, and it discourages people from sleeping. And we know that sleeping is the biggest predictor of those mental health problems that Dina was talking about. So... The reason children are experiencing more anxiety and depression than we've seen before is they're getting a lot less sleep than they have been. And we've been monitoring this really closely and a part of that is their technology use, being allowed to have mobile phones in their bedrooms at night. No, my kids use the line, but I need an alarm to wake up, mum. I bought them an alarm clock. The phones stay in the kitchen. Now, there are actions that we should be taking. We wouldn't let our children swim all night. We don't let children use that technology all night. So really clear rules. Tech-free places and tech-free zones. So thinking of times during the, the day when we don't allow technology to be used and places in our home where we don't allow technology to be used. So you might think places obviously at the table would be in my family, they're my, our rules. There are no, there's no technology at the table. You'll have your own rules about the places that you allow it, but being really clear, clear boundaries as you would um, when your children can go and swim in the pool. So I have 10 tips to finish with because there's so much I want to tell you, but I, I won't be able to get into them in detail. So the 10 tips that I thought, the first tip I think is so important is that we need to learn with our children. Our children are really good at technology and uh, a lot of the times what we do is put up barriers to stop them from being good at it. We should be sitting with them. Let them teach us because they know buckets. <gasps> they might not always know how to use it safely, not a good place for children to be, Whatever it is that they would like to try, you need to go there with them. Just like they want to go and swim in a new place, you would go there with them to see what the hazards are and sit with them. And the most important question we would ask them is, where would you go for help if something happened in this site? And if they can't show you, then both of you go and find where that is so that they know how to use that safely. 
Second tip is learn about privacy settings on your children's phone. Um, for example, geotagging is something that every parent should turn off on their children's phone. Most kids don't use their phones to find their way around. We do, using maps. But geotagging puts the address on every photograph that they take, for example. So even though you might have talked to your children about never putting your name ever on sites, don't put your address, don't use your mobile phone and so on, if they're taking a photograph of their cat in the kitchen and post it, this is my cat in the kitchen, the geotagging will give the address of your home. So geotagging must be turned off as soon as possible. It's in settings. It's really easy to find. If you can't find it, talk to me afterwards. I'll show you how to do it. But Dr. Google is brilliant. Just say, how do I turn off geotagging? And it'll tell you whatever phone you're using, how that works. We need to be really clear about our boundaries uh, and establishing really clear boundaries. We talk about family agreements. Let your kids go and talk, sit and talk about the things that they think are really important about how they use their technology. You think about things that are really important about how they, you think your children should use technology and you put those two things together and come up with an agreement together. That agreement goes on the fridge about when phones can be used, what are the consequences if those rules are broken, that agreed consequences between the two of you and you'll be fine. Quick story, my daughter wanted a phone at age 14, mind you she'd asked a lot before that. She told me that she was the only person in Australia at age 14 who didn't have a phone because of where her mother worked. So not much guilt there. And uh, so anyway, we said, right, will you, if you would like a mobile phone, you write the rules that you would like to see with that mobile phone. I'll write the rules about what I think and Dad thinks about the mobile phone use. Well, she came with her rules and her rules were way harder than mine. I just went, yep, they'll do, on the fridge. <laughs> Google alerts for your kids' names, your mobile phone and your address. Set up a permanent Google alert. Some people do it just to find out when their name is being used in the media. Um, it's a great way to find out if someone's misusing your children's name in the media or if suddenly your children's name is being featured. Really easy to set up and you can put other alerts in place. Google's the most obvious one to do that. Again, really helpful. I promise there's only four more and I'm done. I've already talked about shoulder surfing, that when your children are online, staying close, turn screens so you can see screens towards the house. If you've got a computer, it should be in everyone's view. Watch for your kids when they're hitting keys really heavily. They're, obviously, they're, they're angry. Um, something's going on online. Help them. Watch that as you would if they were not happy leaving a pool. Teach them to be positive bystanders. Set profiles to private. Know that every time you get factory updates, all of your settings will drop back to factory settings. So when you might go in and make things private, Often unknowingly you'll see a, you know, an update coming through, yes I want the update, but not realise that every one of your settings has gone back to factory settings so you have to reset them. That's really important because of course if it's free you're not the customer, you're the product. They want it to gather your information so their updates will do this every time. Two things left, use your passwords like toothbrushes. What do I mean by that? Well if you loaned your toothbrush to someone, I hope you would never use it again. Same with passwords. The minute somebody knows your password, you must change it. Passwords are the way that young people are hurting other people more than anything. Because particularly girls, when they have really great friendships, they'll often share lots of stuff, but they'll also share their passwords as part of their growing intimacy. The minute you share your password, if somebody wants to bully, they'll use your password and your identity to do it because obviously they can be tracked. So passwords, precious as anything. So as parents, really work with your kids and talk to them a lot about the importance of passwords and to not use chocolate or pizza as their password because often social networking sites will prompt you with what's your favourite food. So if you ever want to crack into your kids' websites or um, social networking sites, try pizza or chocolate. It's usually something that they would have been prompted to do. 
So as I finish, I wish you lots of luck supporting your children online. It really isn't as complicated as we think we are, even though we're old and we've grown up without much of this. Our kids are amazing. They're great partners in this. It's not about us dictating. It's about working together and coming up with really common ground that keeps everyone happy. Thank you. So the, one of the features about the pandemic period that was very unusual was, and, and less so in WA, but everywhere else on the planet, was the extreme isolation that occurred. You know, people not interacting. In some cases, I think it was even worse for people who didn't live with a family or who didn't live with roommates where they lived on their own. And that happened for su such a long period of time. What effect have you been seeing either in your research or in the literature around what enduring impact that's having in society? Very good question. Thanks very much, Dwayne. If I could start from a young age and work up, I promise I won't make it a long answer because I need to keep it tight. But the greatest effect we're seeing is certainly in very young children. When you think about the importance of socialising and interacting with people, it's probably one of the most critical early years skills that a child needs. So spending time looking at faces, uh, being able to read faces, multiple age groups, spending time with you know, a child who was maybe one at the start of the pandemic, you know, spent two-thirds of their life, perhaps, not having those interactions with adults that are critical. So we're already seeing a lag in social development in children. They will catch up. Neuroplasticity is a wonderful thing. Children get lots of exposure, but we'll need very deliberate attempts what we would call social architecture, where we're bringing children to spend lots of time with other children and other adults, adults spending much more time with children, a lot of face-to-face -face contact in real time, not um, through technology, or if using technology, uh, using technology with images, talking to grandma or grandpa, seeing faces, not just listening, is being absolutely critical. As we move along the life course and we look at children in school, we know that uh, in particular children who are disadvantaged were significantly affected. You know, the developmental lag that we see in children who experience disadvantage, so I'm talking about perhaps children who are economically disadvantaged, but also children who are, might be physically or through some disability disadvantaged, because during the homeschooling that they achieved, they weren't getting the intensive support, maybe the educational aid who was there to make sure that those children were getting the extra support that they needed. Everybody was getting a vanilla education because that was as best as schools could cope with at the time. And that vanilla education means, I think there's anything wrong with vanilla, but it means that children who had extra needs were not getting those needs. So again, we're seeing that, uh, that lag that's occurring. We're also seeing a very heightened use of technology. I'm sure that's where your question has come from as well, uh, Duane. We all relied heavily on technology to be able to remain connected and habits have become established. And, uh, and I think it's being really alert to the fact that, do I need to use technology now or could I walk to my colleagues' desk. I'm so used to talking to them through a, through a screen. So really being very deliberate and intentional in the ways that we are engaging with our friends and supporting them. And for adults, again, getting helping adults reconnect to their workplace, to their friends. ABS has previously, prior to the pandemic, told us that we're spending 20% less time with other humans um, because of technology. And I think we need to be incredibly mindful of how critical it is to physically belong. We must deliberately, social architecture, I used that dreadful term before, arrange play dates, make sure that our children are spending time with other children, other adults, 
it's really important for kids to spend time with adults as well as children exactly the same age as them. They need other age groups as well. So many things we need to be watching, but particularly social development of children and social connection and opportunities. I just wanted to ask, because of the changing mental health climate for both men and women over the past 50 years, what are some, I guess, factors causing these differences in rates of suicide? Studies, as you can imagine, longitudinal studies, which are the best studies to look at causality, you know, you watch over time to see of those people who do really well, why, what predicted that pathway, and of people who are not travelling quite so well, what was predicting, what does that trajectory look like? And I think as researchers and practitioners, our job is to push children off that negative trajectory and over their life course to see how we can help. So those windows, you know, what are what are the biggest predictors of a terrible outcome like suicide? And similarly, what are the biggest windows that tell us what are the best things we can do for our children so that they don't get onto that, that trajectory? So these longitudinal studies are extraordinary and uh, three of the factors that are considered really critical to not get to an outcome like suicide. I'll come back to your question about cause in a moment, but just how do we help? First up is emotional regulation. Perhaps we haven't been good at, uh, at regulating our emotions historically. Um, so it's not the primary cause for the change that we see now, but it's one of the most important protective factors. So being aware, so self-awareness, when I'm feeling sad or when I'm feeling low, when I'm feeling angry, knowing how that feels and picking it up early versus just letting it run and doing something about it. So that's self-management, self-awareness, self-management. All right, what can I do? I can move away from this situation. I can go for a run. I can have something to eat. I can talk to a friend. All of those kinds of actions are really critical. And to some extent, we've lost the ability to think about what we should do because we've been given permission to let our emotions run. So it's catching that early, teaching young people at a very early age how to regulate their emotions. People who regulate well have lots of friends. We know friendships are really um, important, protective factors. Having people around you who love you, different age groups of people, adults as well as older kids, younger kids, same age kids. So building those social skills and finding ways to be reciprocated best good friends to others and, uh, and showing those friendships also highly protected to really critical factors. My social awareness, social management, my self-awareness and self-management. The children who are on that trajectory and young adults and adults are on the trajectory of a very terrible outcome. Many of those young people have not had good supports when they were younger, perhaps grew up in a home where they didn't uh, have love around them and, and support around them. That's not all children, of course. That's, that's just a very significant predictor, a, a really tough start in life. What we would call ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, poverty, neglect, uh, lack of love, you know, those, those kinds of outcomes, which actually affect you physically as well as the psychological effects. But over time, when we look at, so a child who does have a good start to life, but their mental health declines, one of the biggest issues is how they're taught to deal with anxiety and depression. To some extent, because we have smaller families now, we have more intensive support around our children, we have become a society who rescues. So every time somebody is feeling a difficulty, I, I'm a parent and I have more guilt than anyone in the room because I've done it, even though that I shouldn't. 
that when I'm, my daughter is feeling anxious, I want to just rescue her. I want to fix it. I want to take away the situation that is contributing to it. But by doing that, I'm not teaching her anything. What I need her to do is to feel it. I'm there with scaffold, you know, to support and to help and to take each of those steps. But I'm helping her to deal with it versus taking away what it is that's causing it. So as a society, there are many factors that predict that trajectory to uh, suicide. But one of the most important things that we can be doing is to help our kids face stuff. So learned helplessness, which is what we've, we've done. We've kind of taught people to be helpless, victim, be victims, look for somebody to help fix them all the time, which is still important to look for others. But also there's things I can do. I'm the boss of me. I've got control. There are things I can do. And so learning what those are and recognising them and taking action and feeling powerful in my self-control is probably one of the, the most important things with lovely, caring people around you who are keeping you standing up so that you can deal with that. So you are learning helpfulness versus learning helplessness. Mm -hmm.